This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Before joining Larry with today's episode, let's get a few words from Hayden Outdoors, the brand that sells land through our conservation today. Providing high quality, properly formulated supplements for your deer herd can be the single most crucial decision you make as a manager. Everything that's available to your deer can, in one way or another, change seasonally or worse be taken away. The abundance and quality of native browse, forbs, mast, and food plots are often determined by Mother Nature, as we all know. What I'm referring to most is tornadoes, blizzards, ice storms, flooding, droughts, and even insect infestations. All things that can and probably have affected all of us and our management plan at one time or another. But one thing that has to be unwavering, regardless of the habitat's quality or the lack thereof, is the nutrition you provide your deer. Personally, as odd as it may sound, each year I like to assume the worst and structure my supplemental feeding program to just that. Keep this in mind. The proteins, mineral, and protein blocks you provide are the only source of nutrition that can be here today and gone tomorrow and back again the next day. Again, without waiting on mother nature to regenerate. 
in the event of an actual worst case scenario, I'm already prepared to provide my deer with the nutrition they need in surplus. And if that worst case scenario doesn't happen, then game on. I've now given my deer access to an abundance of high quality supplements that they need to achieve surplus nutrition. I'm Brandon Houston with H3 Whitetail Solutions. Now on with today's episode. Dave, that sounds really good, but if you listen to the background, we're actually not in the turkey woods this morning. We're in the DSC offices, and you can hear the air conditioning unit going on, but it sounds very similar to the winds that we've been dealing now, with we've all We've been having long. air conditioning all season long, haven't we? <laughs> it has been an unbelievable year here in Texas, at least, when it comes to turkeys. I know that you've been really after turkey this year because y'all trying to shoot some shows for Trigicon's World of Sports Field, and of course, working with Bremington as you do. Uh, you've probably got a few Bremerton shotguns that you'd like to put to good use. And what's, what's it been like? I'll, I'll tell you later what my experience has been this year, but it's it's been bleak, to say the least. Well, like you said, you know, I have been shooting some for TV. You know, for years, we had another gun sponsor that did not make shotguns. Right. And, of course, Remington, you know, with their waterfowl and their, you know, dedicated turkey lineups and stuff. I mean, you know, that's a big part of their business, and thus it's a big part of our responsibilities to, you know, we're going to, we find ourselves, you know, Tim, my, my partner, he'd rather shoot a bull mallard than a bull elephant, you know, so... <laughs> You know, we'll try to get a good duck show or goose show every year, and I'm in charge of the turkey shows. And, uh, uh, you know, last couple of years, turkey hunting's been hard enough without cameras, but, you know, that's been, you know, this is about the third year we've been pretty hard filming turkey shows. And not just for shows, for tips and, you know, products. Uh, Absolutely. You know, that are coming out. And, and you know, for the pure fun of it, and for the turkey meat as well, well too. Of so. course, of course. So, yeah, but this year, uh, you're laughing about the air conditioner. Yeah, the air conditioner's been blowing hot <laughs> and cold, meaning literally for the last month and a half, it is will blow like hell from the south for three days, hot, it will turn around, there'll be about a 14 second pause between it coming 40 miles an hour from the north and you know, and then it'll do that for three days and then come back from the south. I'm, I've never seen anything like it. And I'm living in Texas 62 years and I don't remember seeing a spring like this. I mean, in Texas, just a little bit longer than you have. And I, you know, I don't, I don't recall one either. I, we generally have winds during the springtime, you know, the March winds kind of thing. Yeah. But there's generally between fronts, there'll be, whether it's coming down to the south or coming down to the north or east or west or whatever, there's generally some time, you know, very often several hours, and then maybe the wind blows through, and then it quiets down. And that has not been the case this year. Yeah, about 15 seconds of quiet. <laughs> 15 seconds. Yeah. And I think, you're, I think you're being very nice to it, because I think it may be less than some instances, many of the instances that I've been involved in. And, you know, Larry, it probably, I'm speaking for me, but I bet it, I bet a lot of turkey hunters would agree. It probably bothers us more than the turkeys. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, the turkeys are like the fish. Fish going to be in the water, whether it's cold, whether it's calm, whether the wind's blowing, or, you know, they're going to be in the water. Turkeys are going to be in the woods. They don't they don't sit it out for three days. If the wind's blowing, they starve to death. You know, they go about their business, and they probably adapt their patterns to to that, but but it probably affects hunters more than it does the birds. You know, I think you're right, but I've, I want to ask you a question. Did you notice I hunted turkeys out west of Dallas-Fort Worth this year? And we had several days, as you mentioned, where the wind blew and we had a lot of rain and all those other kind of things. 
in that particular area. One of the things that I was warning our guys about, I said, there's no need to get out really early because those birds were staying in their roost. We actually scared birds off the roost like at 8 o'clock in the morning at 8.30. Did you see any of that? Well, uh, let me tell you what. I have not had worse early morning turkey hunting uh, in my life than I've had this year. Now, I've hunted from North Texas to deep South Texas, south of San Antonio, and uh, a different country, but same results. Uh, I don't think I've... I don't think I started a morning hunt where I hadn't had a big gobbler roosted. Right. And I right. haven't even got close to getting a big gobbler to come off that roost and walk into me. And, I mean, they, in fact, it's like I have a force field around me. <laughs> I mean, I, I had the other day, I mean, this is about four days ago, I was down in Hondo, Texas, and I had two huge gobblers, and I knew they were huge gobblers because I'd been shadowing them for about two days. And I'd had every kind of near miss you could possibly have with these two. I felt without killing. If you know the the story of the man eaters of Savo, and you know Patterson was trying to kill the two lions, <laughs> yes. kind of wherever he went, they went the other direction. Right. If he went left, they went to the right. If he went south, they came to the north and ate somebody. That's the way these two particular turkeys. And I told the guy, I said, "This is like hunting, you know, man eating lions. I mean, they strike and then they're gone." And and. But I'd watched these two big gobblers go up, and I said, they are in deep trouble tomorrow because there was a beautiful, about a four-acre open pasture. Perfect. Jeremiah Bennett, who you know. Oh, absolutely. One of my favorite people. Yeah, Jeremiah, for those of you who don't know him, is a fabulous turkey, kind of all-around outdoorsman, but he served several roles. He films a lot for us for uh, Safari Classics, and you know, whenever you can grab Jeremiah, you grab Yeah, him. I insist upon going with him if there's yeah. any way possible. Because he's a hunter, first of all, which, uh, you know, a hunter, uh, uh, you can make a cameraman, uh, it's harder to make a cameraman a hunter than a hunter a cameraman. Yes, sir, exactly. And, and Jeremiah's a great hunter and a great cameraman, but a hell of a turkey hunter. Yes. And so, which has really been fun because, you know, it's always two brains are better than one. Uh, Although both of our brains together have been defeated by a bird with a brain the size of an acorn, you know, so many times this year. But we set up on these two big gobblers, and there is, they are, we're within 80 yards of them. There is this beautiful little field the day before we'd seen hens in this field. We've got our Jake decoy out there in semi-strut. I've got two uh, deception decoys out there. I, it literally, you, you couldn't go to the store and buy a better setup than we were. They gobble probably 60, 70 times on the roost. We owl call to them, you know, just for fun, you know, just for, for TV. I said, I'm going to do an owl call. And, boy, they just, you know, jumped up and down in the on the branch gobbling and and I thought this is going to be my really truly worry was it, we weren't going to have good enough camera light when they pitched in too quick. Yeah, now, I didn't need to worry about that. <laughs> I didn't see those birds again until about eleven thirty that day. They hopped out and walked through a giant patch of oakmont and thick woods instead of pitching down into that field. Just been that and kind of season. That's unusual because very often birds like to come down to the ground where there's open areas so they don't have to mm -hmm. get their feathers wet mm -hmm. if there's dew or anything like that. They, they hopped don't out and went through a big down. bramble patch and out the other end and went into another field. Yeah, they were headed to yeah. another field, but, but and of course, we hot-footed around there and sit there with binoculars and, you know, watched them and 
you know, they were about 150 yards, and that's right out in the middle of a deal. And uh, you know, an ant couldn't crawl up without them seeing it. So I mean, there was <laughs> oh my nothing to do, uh, nothing to do but continue the the cursing of the turkeys. You know, which you know, I've got a lot of practice. Uh, most of my bad words have been employed this year so far. I promise you. But it has been a weird. But, but I tell you what, it, it's. And you know, Larry, I mean, you know, a turkey on April 2nd is different than a turkey on the 15th, different on, different on May 1st. You know, as the, as the breeding season goes along, what I've noticed this year, the best hunting is still in front of us, and it's April 20th in Texas right now. The right. best hunting's coming. Yeah. I'm, I'm literally convinced because I've seen the same thing in North Texas and South Texas. We got a late start this year for whatever reason. I've had reasons by about the 10th of April, it was pretty well wound down. Oh, yes. I mean, I remember years when yeah. if you didn't get a bird by then, you yeah. might get one, but they were not going to respond like they did earlier. But yeah. I, I generally, I hadn't, you know this, I haven't killed a turkey in the springtime in many years, but I've called mm-hmm. a bunch of turkey during springtime for other people. And this year, for whatever reason, it has been... I could have just as well gone to downtown Dallas and started calling and gotten as good a response as the bird responding to the calls, meaning coming to me. Not that they would gobble occasionally, but for whatever reason, when they were gobbling, you'd hear him gobbling. The next time you heard him gobbling, he was farther away. Yeah, well, farther there, away. there's been a lot of that this year. And, and, you know, I watched two big old birds the other day down in Hondo. Uh, they were in a field with hens, and they were just gobbling their guts out. And I didn't know the property very well, and we... We, uh, you know, headed obviously down there where we could hear them gobbling, and I hit a high fence, and I knew to the east, you know, uh, Eric uh, White had said when you hit a high fence, that's going to be the neighbor's property. But, you know, I was was sitting there watching them, and they had five or six hens. They were like 60 yards from them, and they literally walked through the hens gobbling to each other, these two big, big long beards, and they just walked right out of the back end of the field, never really paid attention to the hens, but but gobbling, just, you know, walking and gobbling, that's what we call it, walking and gobbling, and they do that sometimes, and gobblers were gobbling back to each other, but, you know, I mean... You know, I always say, do you want to hear a turkey gobble or do you want to kill the turkey? Exactly. It's, yeah. you, know, you know, you can get out there and call fancy and call loud and, you know, get a gobbler. You know, I haven't I haven't blown a mouth call 20 minutes this year, I can tell you, because you can get one to answer it. Now, it's a good locator call. Oh, yeah. So in the middle of the day, if you know, if I want to, I want to cover some ground with my mouth, I'll... Right. And boy, if you get one to gobble, then that mouth call goes back in the pocket. And boy, and I'm trying to sneak in within semi-close range, and I start with this little slate call. And I, I've, I've had a lot better luck with turkeys moving my way with small, subtle sounds right. this year. And I always tell people, uh, the best tip, let the turkeys tell you how to call. That's fine. What? This is live, and so whatever is going on is not going on right now. <laughs> but, 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 but that is really the truth. If I was going to give a beginning turkey caller uh, a good tip, it, let listen to the turkeys. They will tell you how to call. You know, if you are on, you know, on a hunt and the hens are very vocal and they're cutting and, you know, uh, they're fighting amongst themselves and dominant hens are putting subdominant hens in their place, follow suit, you know. But but if, if you're out there and the hens are just blip, 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 and you're cutting and all the stuff you see Michael Waddell doing, you know, on 
bone collector and stuff, and Michael's a hell of a turkey guy. I bet he is. But, but you know, those turkeys are saying, yeah, that guy over there is really a good caller. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Dave over there, he's really, yeah, he's really, he's really getting the right notes, but they know it's old Dave or Larry over there. And and I'm telling you, I have, I, I listen to those birds and I follow suit. And and uh, the birds that I've called in this year have have all been, you know, just small. You know, hey, I'm a little hen by myself. I, I am looking for some company and I'm scratching and I'm clucking. And I'm just going about my day. And all the birds, I haven't killed a bird this year before 1130. But when you find one of those birds, the bird you can't kill at 730, is a different bird at eleven thirty, but most guys are totally, back eating a sandwich. Totally, totally different. I, I, years ago, I hunted. Of course, I was with Redhead Pro Hunting Team with Walter Parrott, who's just unbelievable Heck of a turkey caller. caller, but hunter as well too. Yeah, and yeah. Jerry Martin and those guys. I, I used to get tickled because they'd come down to South Texas or somewhere in Texas, and the roost trees are the tallest things around, and they'd want to slip in there in the morning and and you know call the birds off the roost. Well, I'm convinced that that gobbler up at the top of that tree was saw something coming in and immediately when he, he'd answer the calls and all, but he'd pitch off and go the other way. Mm-hmm. But that same bird, we would go back in, or I'd go back in and start at about 9, 30, 10 o'clock and mm-hmm. try to halfway figure out which way they went and get into that route and just start calling and calling very conservatively, not real loud, kind of like what you're doing, some purring and, you know, mm-hmm. yelp here and there and those kind mm-hmm. of things. And we and I'd end up killing the bird kind of thing. But to me, the best time to hunt is that, that time frame you're talking about mm-hmm. from once they've made the rounds to where they know their hens, you know, now they're out looking again kind of thing. That, that, that to me is a time to kill a bird. Is that or mid-morning mid to almost midday. Well, that, that's it. The first bird I killed this year, we got stuck by a high fence. Now, it was our property on both sides. And, right. And I said, well, I mean, I can still jump a few gullies and climb yeah. a few fences. But <laughs> Jeremiah said, I can't get over that fence. But we got stuck. But anyhow, we had uh, two gobblers with a group of hens. And I got about five minutes of the greatest greatest live turkey brawl that'll ever be cool recorded they couldn't have been larry 60 yards away i could just every now and then see a piece but they were in a super thick tangle but it was in the middle of the day but then i started calling another bird and he was coming in he was unfortunately on the other side of the fence i peeked down the fence and i mean here he came and i told jeremiah we're going to kill this thing we got a new gobbler coming in well, about that time, the orgy started over there in the in the live oaks, and of course, you can imagine, you know, I I'm a pretty good caller, but I'm not as good as ten excited hens. No, and and no, I mean, no. he went in there, and we listened to a fight go on for about five minutes, and I mean, it was, uh, and I know how bad it was because I think I killed the loser of that fight, but boy, they were flapping, and the hens were putting and, and you know purring, you know that excited fighting purr that oh, they yeah, have, absolutely. the gobblers yeah. were doing it, and I mean, you could just hear feathers flapping, and uh, got real quiet, and I said, we're going to, whoever lost that fight, which I knew was going to be that new incoming gobbler, because those other two gobblers were buddies, right? and 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 that's kind of what happened, but I called to him for 45 minutes, and I literally had just pulled off my mask, and you know, we've been doing this little sounds, because I've called so many gobblers over the years that you know were intimidated by another gobbler where they'd sneak in real quiet. Now they're not going to come in no, strutting no, no. and boasting exactly. and gobbling, but that's what this one did. I mean, it just you know, uh, I was literally taking my gloves off and stuff and turning the camera. And I said, oh, well, let's do a little close on this hunt. 
and I started talking and uh, you know was putting stuff up and I and I literally just took this is my little same plate I brought it in this morning I mean I just back put it in my pocket went and he gobbled about 60 70 yards away and he'd been there all along probably yeah and he yeah. came in again not that classic coming across a big open field that we all like to see but he came in that old head just bobbed and I saw that big red head and I said I'm looking at him Jeremiah don't move you know Jeremiah got the camera on and boy this thing it took him 20 minutes to come the last 25 30 yards to me and he'd take two steps and was looking but when once we shot him now I'm, I'm uh, Remington 870 beat him up pretty good on his head but but those other two turkeys had beat him up pretty good on his body in the front of him man he was ripped and I mean had big patches of missing feathers and that was from that fight so well that brings to mind we've talked about this in the past but the first time you and I really got to spend time together there out just west of Uvalde on a turkey hunt remember that little gobbler that you called up to the fence was a was the poorest looking gobbler oh that, that we'd ever, I'd ever seen had a big old beard on him yeah big beard had really you talk about tree hanging spurs yeah. the spurs yeah. really curled back on but, but he was a grandpa he was and I think we I think he weighed like 12 pounds yeah. in the average area is probably 16 to 17 pounds and I remember how but he was tore up he was tore, he, he was a scrapper I, and he was a fighter I don't think he was a winner very often the way he was torn up though well I killed two birds like that last week now uh, both of them big spurs and stuff but they have those little beard mites and both of them had just eaten them down one was about a quarter inch and the other one was about three inches four inches with a couple of longer hairs of those mites had eaten but uh you know the trophy was you know getting oh, yeah. birds and it, getting it, them on the camera hunt, absolutely yeah, yeah. It, those are those are interesting those the <laughs> Those are interesting birds that have that. Years ago, that, I can't remember what the night that might is, but it'll either the, the beard will break at that point, or sometimes they'll turn red. Years ago, I shot. I got a call from Craig Winters up on the uh, Nail Ranch when uh, used to do a lot of turkey hunting up there. And Craig called me one day. And he said, "Larry, you need to get up here now." I said. I'm coming next week. And, no, you need to come up now. He said, I just found a gobbler with a beard. Back then, my beard was red. He said, it's as red as your beard. Did you kill him? Yes. And it was and, red. And, and it was, he had a regular-sized beard, like an yeah. almost 10-inch beard, fairly bushy, and it was just as red as red could be. Yeah. And so I called some guys that I knew that were, you know, very much in dealing with turkeys and turkey diseases and all yeah. those kind of things. And they said, well, it's caused by a mite, and one of two things happens. It, the beard turns red or it breaks off at that point. So that's apparently what we were talking about yeah. with your Yeah, guys. well, yeah, they ate, them, they ate them right down to the In fact, it was funny. When I called the second bird in, it was at like 1 o'clock, and uh, we just wa- I was just walking and calling. You know, I was trying to cover ground and, you know, thinking a gobbler won't be with a hen if we can get within, you know, hearing range of a gobbler. And I'm just walking, just, you know, yeah. you know, just soft and stuff. And I had a gobbler answer. And he was probably 250 yards or so away when he started. I said, okay, well, now I'll look at the watch. This is the time. To, the, gobbler, the gobbler that'll gobble in the middle of the day is one that wants to get shot. Amen. So, Amen. So we started looking around, and then he gobbled on his own. And I said, yes, this is, and, but we're, there was a lot of woods in front of us, but we had a high fence behind us. And, and then I hit him again with a slate, and he, you know, he cut me off gobbling. I said, yeah, we better, 
you know, finding the perfect spot. Yeah, we ain't gonna find the perfect spot. We better get our back against uh, against this tree. But we had a lot of brush and what behind us, and uh, you know, man, he came in just like you're supposed to. But I'd seen him strut back here at about seventy yards, and I saw all I could see was that big full fan. So I knew he was a gobbler. Yeah, and you knew he was a mature gobbler yeah. as opposed to something And else then he there. came in, and I, t- you know. You know, I, you do the same thing, I'm sure, but whenever I got a cameraman, I'll pick something. I say, say, you see that fence post right there, or you see that laid down log? Okay, that's going to be our center point. I'm going to say he's left of the log, he's right of the log, he's he's behind the fence, you know, behind that, you know, bucket or whatever it is. Exactly. I try to get my guy so he's not waving at camera, you know, trying to find him. And I picked a tree and I said, okay, that's going to be our center, that's going to be our center deal. And I said, he's, he's 60 yards behind our center tree and he's to the left. And, you know, Jeremiah, you know, was looking for me and said, I got him. Oh, yeah. And uh, But all you could see was the head. Here, he, the head here he comes. He'd make four or five steps, and he gobbled, you know. And uh, But he wasn't he wasn't puffed out. But then he, so he started kind of going left. And a, a mistake that I make sometimes, but it was, this happened so fast. I Again, I call less and less of the mouth call these days. But when a bird's coming in, where should your shotgun be? Not in your lap. It should no, be, it on, needs to be elbows on up. the knees, Amen. pointed at the deal. <laughs> you set up. But if you've got a mouth call in there, and if you need to redirect a bird or something, you can because if you've got if you've got your uh, slate call, uh, you you can't you really can't do anything. Um, you know you 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 can't make a sound to stop a turkey unless you do it with your mouth. And so this bird was coming in, and I didn't have my mouth call in. And he was starting to go left. And I gave him just a little bit of, in fact, with my right hand, I held my gun in my right hand, I started doing leaves. Exactly. And he yeah. gobbled at it. And, and here he came. Now, I'd already seen him fan, but now he's just, you know, doing that slow walk, turkey walk in. Right. And Jeremiah, who's got an earbud in, I said, okay, when he gets past that next tree, I'm going to shoot him. He said, don't shoot him. He said, Jake. I said, don't shoot him. He's a Jake. And uh, and I said, I'm going to shoot him. Stay on him. Because he could see him so clear in the camera and couldn't see a beard. But I'd already seen seen him fan. So I have probably passed up about 60 Jakes this year. I'm calling Jakes in in herds. I mean, I got a decoy. I was going to ask you about, did you see a lot of Jakes? Oh, obviously you did. I did more in North Texas than I did South Texas, which doesn't mean much. It could have just been on that one ranch. But, But I've got... I've got Jake, uh, Jake's violating my decoys uh, in so many different ways. I mean, I had, I, one time I had like nine Jakes in there taking turns whipping my decoys and stuff on camera. So it's killer footage, but oh, yeah. it's always good to see a next year's crop of it, birds. It is. I endorse it. I really do. But this old bird came in and I, I was shooting, uh, I've been shooting a Remington V3 for the last several years, but uh, uh, I just, you know, grew up shooting 870 and decided Absolutely. to take an 870 just to s- switch up my luck and, and uh, you know, shot this bird. I mean, shot him at about, you know, 35 yards or so. And uh, I, Jeremiah thought, well, we passed a thousand Jakes and now here we are, you, you know, shooting Jakes. You'll be ridiculed on TV and all that. And I went over there and, of course, I, I, Look for the beard, and I saw yeah, that. I saw that, yeah, Bushy yeah. But then I whipped, I whipped him over and saw those spurs, and I, you know, Jeremiah, he's doing his job. He's videoing me, and here I come with the bird over my shoulder. I said, "All right, you, 
I said, my cameraman thinks I just shot at Jake. <laughs> and then I said, because let me tell you why. And, and I flipped him over on his back. I said, because of this. And he couldn't see the beard. What Jeremiah hasn't seen yet is this. And I turned him around and showed those furs. Yeah. Jeremiah whistled. I said, and what Jeremiah didn't see from his position that I did, I could see the bird oh, fan back here. And I knew it was a full fan gobbler. And he was like a three-year-old bird. He right. Yeah. Big, big bird. So. Yeah, it hadn't been an easy season, but it's been a it's been a learning season. Well, it's been a learning. You know, to be there all that way, and the thing about it is, had you shot a bird the first time you went out, you wouldn't have got to hunt nearly as much as what you did. So there's a positive to that. I, I passed two. I got some great video of two two year old birds that are like a seven inch real wispy right. beards. I hadn't been hunting three hours the first day up there in Vernon, and I thought, well, man, I'm I'm. Going, it's going to be a good year. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and wait for a long beard. I mean, this is going to be duck soup. And I, for three days, tried to shoot a gobbler. And it was more like a turkey hunt. I was carrying my big loppers. I'm, I don't like to hunt out of no, pop-ups. No, 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 I don't either. I, I like the natural lines. But I am smart enough if I'm going to be sitting in one spot. And I'm not a big sitter, but sometimes sitting is the, the right way to kill a gobbler. If you know he's setting up on a certain field or if he's coming... You know, there was a little valley, and it wasn't, I said valley, I mean, it was probably 150 yards across, but I had seen turkeys working it, and so I set up basically right in the middle of it, but I took my big loppers and made myself a great cedar blind and, and everything, and uh, uh, sat there, and Jake's swarmed me, and these two gobblers came in, but no big gobblers. The next day, I'd hunted a little field about 300 yards away, but there was a little hill, and I went up on top of it, because I could hear a gobbler in that other field that where the valley is, and there was a big old long beard breeding hen about 10 feet from my blind. And that happened, like, not the breeding part, but, no, but the gobblers there, yeah. where I was at. It was like a leopard hunt. I spent more time building blinds and sitting there looking than I did aiming at turkeys. But, but again, you know, uh, a little a little bit, nothing's been traditional this year. I just, I'll look back on this and call this, the most non-traditional year I've ever hunted turkey. Well, I remember one other hunt, though, on the Hargrove, when you and I were up on the Hargrove Ranch, and it was rather cold and nasty on that one. Well, I told I told Cameron, who was my cameraman, yeah, that was last year, and I'm going to start a new business, and, <laughs> and I've been threatening on doing it and stuff. You know, they used to talk about the rainmakers and oh, stuff. Yeah, 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 well, that's me. And, yeah. I mean, I can play, the more important hunt I plan, now, you know, if I just go for fun, I'm probably guaranteeing riding at least a half an inch of rain. Now, it may not have rained in the last 33 years there. <laughs> now, if I'm filming it, I can, I will contractually obligate myself to a minimum of two inches of rain. And if it's a really, really important deal, I mean, you need flood insurance. <laughs> you need and flood insurance? <laughs> I have, tell you, I have brought the rain with me everywhere I have been this year. Hadn't rained down in Hondo in like since september and they got about a half an inch of rain the night i got there which didn't really affect the hunting and the no, ranchers no. were happy and i said you can pay me yeah, later pay me later yeah. and uh then got up there to vernon and it just rained like hell when uh, the the first night i got there and i don't think i hunted last year unless it rained but yeah that 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 hunt on the hargrove ranch which is a beautiful ranch great people great bunch oh, of turkeys absolutely. Killed two birds on that, but uh, there wasn't a bird in that county. I told my cameraman, Cameron, I said, he, he's always saying, man, I'll, I want to go the next Alaska trip on the big brown bears. I, I want to go film that. And I said, well, 
uh, this is really great training because this turkey hunt here in April is very much like being on Kodiak in November. It's raining sideways. You're wearing everything that you could steal from uh, Everybody on the know, David Archer had a big old deal, you know, of course, you know, I'm a cryptic guy right? And, and you know, unfortunately, and I was wearing all the cryptic I could put on, but I also, uh, you know, looked like I was hunting mule deer in, in, you know, December or something. <laughs> I, he had a big old deal. I wouldn't survive without it. Rain coming down sideways and there wasn't a turkey in that county called by traditional methods. No, no, no. no. I ended up shadowing some big birds and fields and getting in front of them and I, and I said, uh, you know, look, there's turkey calling and there's turkey killing. And this that word turkey killing, it's not by traditional means or manners. <laughs> well, I did some, kill two big birds up there, but boy, it was, I could have left the calls in the in the cabin because it, yeah, there, there wasn't, I don't think I heard, I heard about four gobbles that four days I was there and that was it. Mostly they were trying not to drown. Well, I was there during the same time we were trying to call coyotes uh, and unfortunately, the wind and all the weather conditions yeah. were such so we didn't do any good there as well. Either. Well, do you remember I brought the rain last year when you and I were down in Ozona Whitetail Hunt? You did. So it hadn't too. rained down here, and I said, well, I'm here now, buddy. I mean, your <laughs> problems are over, and it rained for like two and a half days. And, uh, yeah, but this year I brought a little bit of rain. It didn't hurt me, but I'm, but but it's been there. Absolutely. You were talking about using the H-70 uh, to me, that that is the epitome of, of turkey guns, as far as I'm concerned. I've got one that I've had not shot anything with in a while, but I've got one that I've shot a lot of turkeys with over the years. Well, I, and I have too, but I'll tell you, my 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 new favorite turkey gun is that Remington V3. Uh, it's an auto. It's got a. I just like everything about it. Uh, it's got a 22 inch barrel. I like a short barrel on turkey oh, yeah. deal. Exactly. It's got a true glow choke on it. Uh, yeah, man, I just, it's really lightweight. And, you know, I always, I always tell people generally I turkey hunt like a guy throwing spinner baits. I'm covering, I'm covering ground, you know, guys that hunt out East, you know, they may have a smaller property and they're going, they'll sit on one or two spots all day long. And, you know, most of the ranches I hunt, got enough elbow room to run around and I'm looking for one that wants to bite. I don't want to stand there all day long and look at a edge of a field <laughs> no, or something. No, no I, I'm with you. We're, we're fortunate that where we do hunt turkeys in Texas, most of the properties are large and so you can get around mm. and, and you're not you, you know who's on the property as well too. Yeah, and, sure. And a lot of times you may well be the only turkey hunter on that property as well too. Well, you know, we were talking about another thing I, I mentioned a minute ago. You know, say so I would look at this, you know, came out of the woods and was watching these things with binoculars. It, it's always funny when guys from the east come out to hunt and they said, you're wearing binoculars? And I'm wearing big binoculars. Yes. And they're saying, why do you wear binoculars on a turkey hunt? I said, this is Texas. Yes. And, and let me tell you, I can't even tell you how many, how many gobblers I've killed that started with me spotting them a long way away with binoculars. And uh, yeah, you may not need that in Pennsylvania or or the North Michigan or something like that. But let me and not just that. There's times I know there's a bird there, but I can't see him. Yeah. back in cover now with binoculars. Ah, there you are. You can pick them out that way. That's I, I'm, it. I'm the same way. I, I carry binoculars religiously yeah. on a turkey. Hunt. Oh, I do. I do too. And I'll tell you another little thing that I I discovered. We talked about you know we talked about camouflage and you know look. Um, Sometimes, uh, you know, 
the number one, it, when the turkey's within the danger zone, the number one rule is be, be still. Watch your movements. An eagle may be able to see further, but nothing, uh, I feel this way, nothing on planet Earth can see his immediate surroundings better than a turkey. You know, his eyes are on the side of his head. He can see forward. He can damn near look behind him. Uh, but, but you know, small movements. We we spooked one of the cameras the other day. Oh, Jeremiah yeah. was a little bit, this, it, Jeremiah wasn't out of position. The turkey came in from where we didn't expect, and he had to make about a seven-inch, eight-inch move. That was too much. I was watching this gobbler's head through a little gap of about five inches, and he locked onto that, and, <laughs> and there he went. And, I mean, that's all it took. And uh, so camouflage, you know, being still, but wearing good camouflage. And, and you know, I am a, uh, I am a cryptic guy. And one of the things I like about cryptic is they got, you know, they got different, you know, colors. Early, early, uh, if, if the, like the mesquites had not greened up up north. Right. I mean, at all. I mean, nothing. And wearing a real green pattern, like they have one called mandrake. And it's the, the cryptic has the typical pattern, you know, the breakup patterns, but then there's different colors. The mandrake is more of a green color with brown undertones to it. And it is the absolute perfect, you know, pine or, or green, um, you know, the lighter green, which is our mesquite cover, right, which is yeah. so typical down here. It's, there is not a better camo on planet Earth than that. But if it's dry, like it was, well, I I started wearing you know the the agus, which is kind of their. It's got mostly brown exactly and green undertones. Yeah, but they've come out with one now uh, that's called Obscura, and it is the absolute best cedar country pattern I've ever seen. And I mean, we really did we did a lot of film work with it. I mean, I got back in cedar breaks and stuff. I'm telling you, it's because it's got. It, it's a it's a darker green, more of an olive kind of um, kind of a, a dark olive right. green is 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 the primary pattern. It's got brown, it's got some light stuff, but it's got kind of like you know the old traditional tiger striping like it had in Vietnam. Yes, and it's got this real dark tiger striping on it. And if you get look at a cedar tree, well, there's brown branches. Exactly. There's the dark green, you know, foliage. And then you've got the broken sticks and stuff in there, and I'm just telling you, you and very often shadows in it. Uh, shadows. Well, I mean that. Yeah, because you you don't want to be in the sun no, no matter what you're wearing, and you stick back in there. But I'm telling you, you know, Jeremiah said, "Let me tell you, you evaporate <laughs> when you tuck into a cedar tree on that." So yeah, it's, it's called cryptic obscura, and if you hunt where there's you know where there's cedar country, man, it is a it is a pattern that you probably want to look at, and and I don't have any yet, but yeah. of course, turkey season almost over yeah. for me this year, unfortunately. But we got fall coming up, a lot of different things, and I'll be hunting in a lot of that kind of country this year. Yeah, so. Well, it doesn't matter if it's whitetail or yeah. you know whatever, but I'm telling you, it's called obscura, and it is gonna uh, once people uh, uh, once people get their eyes on it, <laughs> they're gonna like what they well, see. Well, they're gonna be able to see it on. On the TV show, yeah. on World Sports Field, and I'm sure some, you, you talked about doing a bunch of tips for Remington as well, too, so I'm sure those yeah. start showing up there as well. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, we have shot a lot of, we have shot a lot of footage this year, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's, that's been one of the things that I enjoy about, you know, Remington as a, as a firearms company, you know, they are, uh, 
you know, they hit everything. I mean, waterfowl, upland game, you know, um, you know, dangerous game, deer. I mean, they they have a, I mean, they are the great American, you know, firearm company. And, and uh, it's given me opportunities that I haven't had in the past. And, you know, and I, I know, and I know you like, I know your partner, Tim, likes to shoot at ducks, geese. Mm. I know you like to shoot at turkeys. Mm. Yeah, oh, I <laughs> so do. that's just opened the door perfectly for you guys. Yeah, and because it's, you know, it's really a year, you know, if it's hunting season, you know, Remington's got a firearm that, that was designed to be in use. And um, so, yeah, they got a new, um, in fact, I've got a meeting today with Ken Darcy, their CEO, uh, we're getting pretty close to introducing uh, the new big thing from Remington's called the Alpha One. You know, it's kind of the latest in the 700 line. And, and uh, I've seen the drawings and I know all the particulars and stuff about it, but I haven't got one in my hands yet. And I'm hoping to get one of the first off the presses, so to speak. Well, I want the third or fourth yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it's coming. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, we're not, we're not having to wait too long, I don't know. Good. Good. Yeah, Remington is such a great old company. I mean, I'm so glad to see Ken step into the role that he has with Remington and with him at the helm. I know they're going to do extremely well. They're, they're he's not going to give anybody a choice, kind of thing. Well, you know, when Remington got into trouble, it was under the ownership for the first time of of businessmen that had absolutely no ties no passion for for the hunting sports and the right. shooting sports i mean they were they were businessmen it was just looked at as an asset and you know they they you know didn't treat it with a passion uh you know that wasn't their that wasn't their mission it was to build it and break it up sell it you know and and, and unfortunately and they did and they did and, um, you know, uh, it, it, it has taken a guy like Ken Darcy, who's got a long background in the shooting and firearms industry, uh, to come in there. And, you know, there's been a lot of hard calls that had to be made, you know, yes, to, to bring that back from the brink like Ken has done. Yes, sir. Uh, that took some dedication. It took some, um, uh, you know, he's kind of a force of nature. You know Ken. And once Ken sets his sights, uh, you're going to get on board. You're going to get on board of that, or, or, or you're going to you're going to be left behind. Uh, I'm you, you. Or you're going to be hitting the off ramp. I mean, <laughs> at Remington, absolutely one of the two. But he has really built a team that that tackles uh, that tackles uh, the task at hand, and 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 uh, boy, there's some exciting things. I mean, Remington is. Uh, you know, for those, and I get asked about it a lot, and I know you do too. So, what's the story with Remington? How did they handle the bankruptcy? Well, all that is, all that is behind them, and there are big, big things happening right now. Absolutely, absolutely. We've actually, I'm doing a hunt with Ken later this year, mm -hmm. Pronghorn Antelope in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. and of course, Ken and I've hunted together in the past in Canada and in Asia and a few other places, and I am really looking forward to that hunt, and I'm hoping that if 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 I don't get one of those new alphas, then I'm going to try to steal yours for that hunt. Quite frankly, well, you know mine will work on antelope. <laughs> I know yours. You I shot the first antelope, antelope ever shot with uh, that new rifle that I built. You know they <laughs> built for me. So yeah, no, it, well, it's yours for the asking. I promise you. Well, I'm, no, I'm you'll sure. have that. Yeah, that no, alpha will be, sure be available. You'll have it in your hands <laughs> by then. I promise.
promise you. Well, fantastic. I want to switch horses just a very quick little bit, but before doing so, through some fairy classics, you and Tim and, and y'all's crew does a tremendous job with Remington in terms of getting the word out for them and producing a fabulous show with Trijicon's World Sports Field and, and some of the other things you do there in terms of shows. But uh, y'all are also very much involved with DSC and DSC Foundation. And you and I both serve on the DSC Foundation board. And we've got our gala coming up or gala, depending on who you're talking mm -hmm. to. And I think it's going to be June the 4th. As a matter of fact, I know it's June the June 4th. 4th it's right. going to be at the Frontiers of Flight Museum here in Dallas, right next door to the uh, Love Field. And that facility is a destination even in itself. And with what we have planned for that evening, uh, it will truly be the destination. It's where you're going to want to be on June the 4th, no matter where you live or where you're from. Well, let me tell you what, you know, you've been working as hard on that as anybody. Um, you know, we are going to have such an unbelievable lineup of hunts, uh, really from all over the world. I mean, we got big African safaris, we got bear hunts uh, from Europe. I mean, look, we've got just about everything. Right. And we've got whitetail hunts. We've got pack. We got a, hunts. Yeah, we got a hunt that it will suit anybody. And you know, we've got a heck of a raffle. A lot of firearms uh, this year and a lot of ammunition, tons of gear. We've got an unbelievable silent auction, um, you know, that's going to be a part of it this year. I mean, we're going to have some luminaries. I mean, um, you know, uh, uh, Fiona Capstick, you know, Peter's uh, wife is coming from Africa. She has won our, our Foundation Legacy Award and a, a more worthy recipient we could not find. Amen. Amen. And, and, and for those of you that have never heard Fiona speak, she is really one of the most uh, captivating speakers that our industry has. She, she's she a, is. a tremendous lady. She's a tremendous supporter of DSC and DSC Foundation. She'll be there. Uh, one of her special guests is, uh, is the last man to walk on the the moon, uh, Commander Duke, uh, and the last man to walk on the moon, and a flag that he took to the moon with him, he is giving the foundation, and we are auctioning that off as a part of a very special package. And uh, you know that I mean, there's a, a Richard Childress of you know race car uh, NASCAR fame is going to be there. And we are auctioning off a hunt to go, not only do you get to go on a great hunt, you get to do it with Richard Childress as your hunting partner. So there's a ton of surprises. And, and don't forget about the, the, the rifles in terms of Mr. Bill Jones. Well, we're going to have our second edition of our historic rifle society of the world-class collection of historic famous rifles that our friend Bill Jones from Birmingham, Alabama has. That's going to happen on Friday. Uh, before the and it's a major fundraiser and the money that we're raising uh, through the Bill Jones collection goes to our advocacy department and fund our fight in Washington D.C. and you know have a full time you know a uh, full time advocacy department on the ground in D.C. where it has to happen and uh, and and we started that funding that mission last year. Now we've got a full-time uh, employee in Washington, and this will raise critical funds because we're no longer just fighting in the court of public opinion. We are fighting in the court systems, and specifically on issues like uh, you know importation of trophies. 
where they have, our, our opponents have said, you know, you want to shoot an elephant? Ah, fine, shoot four, shoot six. An Argali, you want to shoot a Eurasian bear? Shoot all you want. You'll never bring them back to the States, which would effectively end international hunting for most people. So we are fighting that, and that, and that, that fight, as you know, takes money. And this is this event. the The gala is to raise money, and it'll support that fight as well as fund all of our other foundation grants throughout the year. Absolutely, you mentioned Bill Jones and his fabulous collection. Uh, one of the things on the auction item is that we were able to through uh, I can't remember the name of the ranch right now, but we've got an Asiatic buffalo that's at gonna, the record book at ranch. the record book ranch. Thank you. That's going to be on the auction where you're going to be able to hunt with Bill with one of those historic rifles, and I think some fairy classics is going to film the hunt. We're going to be filming it, and just to give you a few of the rifles that Bill has, he has Ernest Hemingway's double gun. He has the greatest firearm in the history of all firearms, in Dave Fulson's opinion. <laughs> oh, this the, not, we're talking about the Dave Fulson the, rifle, right? The, the, the great Jim Corbett, the, the, yeah. the famous man-eater uh, hunter of India. He's got his uh, double rifle. Yeah, shot okay, the number. Okay, a, as yeah, that we call it the, 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 the Corbett <laughs> Jones Fulson rifle. Uh, but I got to shoot that rifle last year for the first time, and it was literally an out-of-body experience realizing my finger was on the trigger, my eyes were looking down the barrel that the great Jim Corbett looked at on five of his man-eating tigers, including the most lethal man-eating cat of all time, the Chapawit man-eater, that had 425 confirmed human kills, and it was a, probably a larger number than that yes, in actual. Doubt, right. But to hold that, now that's, that's history. I mean, to you hold know, it, but then to, to be able to shoot. Uh, he's got, uh, I mean, Dave Omni's guns, two of Philip Percival's doubles, of which Philip shot on his 76th birthday, shot two male lions in his gardens with one of these with one of these doubles. He's got uh, set two of Salou's rifles. He's got one of Teddy Roosevelt's rifles that he took to Africa with him. He's got, uh, it just goes on on and on and on. Guns are phenomenal. And of course, there's a lot of provenance that goes along with these guns that he has there too. Oh, I mean, that's it. All the, from journals to, to everything else. So it's we're going to have that event Friday, uh, and we're going to have 12 shooters this year that are making generous donations to participate in that event. And uh, they'll be recognized, uh, you know, along with some of our class of last year, uh, because these guys are really going above and beyond to support our cause. We're not charging guys big money just to shoot great rifles, although that's certainly a tangible benefit right. to their generosity. But they are funding the fight, and 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 through Bill's generosity and his commitment to DSE and our foundation, he's making those rifles available as a fundraising tool for us. And. God bless him for doing it because it is uh, everybody that went. You know, one guy last year, and I just he, he at the dinner after the event last year, he said, "Yeah, I'm 66 years old," and he said, "You know, uh, probably like most of us, I can remember all of us probably have that one special, you know, Christmas thing that we were hoping for when we were a kid, and then that magical day we actually got it, and it was even cooler than we imagined." He said, I haven't had that feeling for over 50-something years. I've enjoyed it all day today. And he said, this is literally like going into a museum, going to the Cooperstown saying, is that Hank Aaron's bat? You want, man, I want to, 
I'll take it out of the bad cage or if you're a pilot, that's the Wright Brothers airplane. Oh, let's get out there in the field. I want to fly that thing, you know. It, it, it's that kind it's of that deal. experience. It really is. For guys like you and me that appreciate that kind of thing. And, and so it is going to be a fabulous weekend. But, yeah, June 4, anybody can go. Dave, tell us how somebody can learn more about particularly that event, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, the gala as well, too. Well, uh, you know, we're pretty much sold out the, this year on the historic rifle. We're going okay. to do, do 12 shooters. We're going to be doing it again next year. This will be an ongoing, you know, through Bill's generosity, an ongoing event for us. And, you know, look, they could certainly call Corey Mason at, at DSE at Dallas Safari Club and, you know, Corey can walk you right through the event, the whens, the wheres, the how much. So that would be, if, if you ever thought that you'd like to, you know, A, support conservation, uh, and B, be one of the few people to be able to, to spend a day with other guys that understand what a treasure you can have in your hands, uh, yeah, we'd love to, we'd love to talk to you. And it's, it's fabulous. Exactly. They also go to the website and get the phone number. They that's can go to the, the website. Way, and that's B-I-G-G-A-M-E dot O-R-G. Now, let's talk about the game a little bit because mm-hmm. it is a limited seating event. Yep. yep. And we're quickly getting sold out. But we mentioned all these great auction items. How is some ever? On the live auction items, they're also going to be available so we can bid on them on, through the Internet. Right? Yeah, it's, we're having a virtual auction. So you don't... Uh, we you, want you there, but we do want you there. But if you can't, you can participate. You're going to need to get registered. What you just need to do is go to the DSC Foundation website. Yeah, DSCF.org. And we, you and I kind of did a little tutorial on it and saying if two guys like us can sign up and get up to speed on this, anybody can do it. Amen. But it's very easy and you can get logged on and. You know, leading up to it, you can, you know, you place bids, see if somebody's outbid you on something. And I mean, there's great descriptions, there's video, there's pictures. It's not just a description, it's showing, you know, what's going to be available on that hunt, what's included, what's not included. Um, and it is a very detailed description of the hunting opportunity or a piece of gear. We got jewelry. There's a lot, a lot of different yeah, wood artwork. Work for any and everybody, if you love the outdoors, even if you're not a hunter, yeah. there are things there that you will truly, truly appreciate. But the virtual component's really exciting. And, and, you know, we're not the first ones to discover that, but it really allows participation. If you've got an internet hookup and a computer anywhere on planet Earth, you can be, you know, you just need to get registered to bid, and it's easy to do. Again, just go to the DSCF.org website, and there's a video on there that'll just walk you step by step through it. And we'd love to, we'd love, uh, and, and I'm telling you, we have great participation in that virtual auction. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, of course, you and I are going to be on the stage this year to announce each of the auction items as well too so we'll keep our eye on yep. we've got a, a screen set up where we can see where the bid is coming from on the internet and mm-hmm. not necessarily who, who but we know where mm-hmm. and so great opportunities there to uh, to mm-hmm. bid on those items and to truly support conservation and truly support those who are really doing a good job there's nobody that does a better job than dsc or dsc foundation when it comes to anything having to do with wildlife conservation hunter advocacy and even the education side of things so great way to support if you 
I've always said this, you know, when most people get asked for money, they, they want to know, if possible, where did my money go? They don't want a vague answer. They don't, well, it, it disappeared somewhere in a general fund, and I, I can't tell you exactly, but I'm sure we did something good with it. You won't hear that at DSC no. and the DSC Foundation. We, we, when we spend money, you know, we work very hard on telling our membership and even individual donors where that money went to. And we've had great success, you know, sitting down with somebody saying, Mr. So-and-so, look, I don't know if you're going to write a check today, but we both know you can write a check today. Now, I'm going to make a pitch to you, and I'm going to tell you what project we're working on that needs some help. And this year, I'm going to ask you for X. Next year, I'm going to come back to you, and I'm going to ask for more. But when I do that, I'm going to have in my hand a video showing you precisely, exactly what we did with your money last year and the impact that it had. So, so we are, we, DSE and DSE Foundation, we do a great job of, of putting our money where our mission is. We've got the sm a small but the hardest working staff on planet Earth. Amen. And, Amen. and, and uh, you know, our overhead is low. We run lean and mean. And the money that we raise goes back into our mission. And, and, and we do a great job of showing people exactly where the money that they are generous enough to support us with goes. And we do it better than anybody in the business. And I, I don't, that's not just bragging, that's just a fact. That's a fact. Because I support other organizations Absolutely. too. Yeah. But nobody does a better job than DSC and the foundation showing our, our, our generous supporters exactly what their money is doing. Absolutely. And again, if you want to learn more about the foundation, you can go, as Dave said, to DSCF.org, or you can go to the BigGame.org, too, and they'll yep. direct you there as well, too. Dave, I think we're going to shut this thing down. I've got to go talking about Turkey Hunt. Uh, Choctaw Hunting Lodge graciously donated the Turkey Hunt to DSC Foundation Gala last year, and Russell Stacy and his family happened to have bought that hunt, so I'm headed up to Oklahoma now, so if you'll excuse me, I'll turn this thing off, and we'll get back together again here for too very long, and I've got a bunch of other things I want to visit with you about. Well, well don't don't forget your fishing poles, because I've well, heard I, the fishing at Choctaw is as good as the turkey hunt. I have been there to do that, and yes, it's in the truck, so yeah, yeah. Well, we'll probably do something from up there, too. I'll to expect my, I expect my phone to ping in the next couple of days, and there'll be a picture of a big bass and a big turkey and maybe a big crappie yeah another on the crappie <laughs> dave thank you so much for everything that you do for wildlife conservation for dsc for the dsc foundation just i'll tell you what that you're you're one of the the stalwarts here and one of the cohesive people that brings everything together so very often everything you just said right back at you brother <laughs> well, you're very kind and we'll have everybody join us right back here around the campfire next week Thank y'all so very much for being with us. Thanks for joining us around the campfire. To leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode, go to Instagram at Larry Wysoon Outdoors. Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, H3 Whitetail Solutions, Remington, Texas Wildlife Association, TRHP Outdoors.
think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.